are listening to a message from Oaks Church, Brooklyn. Our longing is to see heaven come to earth in our city. For more information on our church and community, please visit oaksbk.church. like such an awkward moment. I feel like I'm interrupting so many beautiful conversations, but I am going to be reading the teaching text, so that's a pretty good thing to interrupt you for. Um, Good morning. It's so good to see you all this morning. Um, My name's Gemma, if we haven't met each other. And in just a second, I'm going to be reading our teaching text. But before I do, I have the great honor today to introduce our guest speaker. Um, Today, we have Jackie Griffin in the house with us. Can you make her feel really at home? Um, Jackie is a friend of Oaks. She's taught here before. You may have been here and been able to listen to her before. Um, She is part of Trinity Grace Church Park Slope. She's one of the elders uh, there. And you may know that before we changed our name to Oaks Church Brooklyn, we were Trinity Grace Church Williamsburg and Sister Churches with Park Slope. Um, She's also a lawyer and she works with... um, a uh, legal services um, nonprofit that helped to provide housing to some of our uh, most vulnerable in the city. Um, so we are really grateful, Jackie, to have you here just teaching us more about the kingdom of God. And we hope you feel really at home and part of the family. Um, so let me just read our teaching text uh, for today. It is Matthew 13, verse 30, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man find it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hi, good morning, friends. How is everyone today? It's good to see you. You all look wonderful. Um, I... I'm not normally teaching with a mic, so if, you know, just just wave at me if I forget to, like, actually hold it up to my mouth or something. That would be helpful. Um, sorry, I'm just pulling out my, my notes here. Okay, here we go. Um, I'm thrilled to be with you this morning. Uh, the last time I was here, it was about a year ago, like almost exactly a year ago, and everyone was masked then, which is good and makes sense, um, but it is so lovely to like look out and see actual faces. Um, you all look wonderful. You all sound wonderful. Um, when I walked in that day a year ago, it was before my church had actually resumed in-person services, and so I walked in and the band was practicing, and I just started to cry um, because it had been so long since I had uh, been together with, with my brothers and sisters and, and hearing sort of the sounds of church getting ready in the morning, and I just felt overcome. And um, I will say I had even like a similar feeling when I, when I came here this morning. Um, There is a beautiful uh, spirit of God that rests in this place. It is because of each of you. um, And there is a sweetness and a tenderness that I feel whenever I walk into this space. And so I'm just feeling very grateful this morning. Um, I was talking with Gemma uh, when I arrived this morning. And uh, as I was preparing this message and, and thinking about Patrick, 
Um, Patrick Boatwright is the pastor here. Most of you probably know that. <laughs> I was thinking about Patrick, and um, he, he used to work at Trinity Grace Church, my church. And when he was transitioning to move here, uh, he was very intentional in those last weeks and months about championing um, and lifting up my voice in particular. Um, I remember hearing him say on more than one occasion, we need to hear Jackie's voice. And that was sort of his parting gift to me. Um, and it's really beautiful to see sort of that heart of him being continued in this congregation in this way. Um, and it's just really see, beautiful to see the, the fruits of that um, growing here. Uh, so I'm grateful for my brother. I'm grateful for each of you. And I'm grateful for this house. Um, I'm going to pray for us really quickly. Lord, I thank you for this day. I thank you that your mercies are new every morning. Um, Lord, I, I'm grateful that you are a God that we can taste and see. Um, we can taste and see your goodness. Lord, I pray that it would be on display for us today. Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes to see, that you would give us ears to hear, that you would give us understanding hearts. So I pray, come Holy Spirit and visit with us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so as I was listening to uh, resources, getting ready to talk about, about this, the kingdom of heaven statement, um, I, I, I was listening to some things from the Bible Project, and one of the blog posts they had described Jesus as an artist. And I really resonated with that picture of him. I had like a very, uh, an image in my mind of like an artist with a paintbrush and they're, um, they're making strokes and every stroke is skillful and intentional and masterful. And I feel like I see Jesus doing that with his, with his stories. Everything is on purpose. Um, and it reminded me of this, this uh, painting that I had seen a few years ago when I was in D.C. It is the official portrait of President Barack Obama, uh, painted by the artist Kahinde Wiley. And it's such a, um, like an arresting uh, painting. It's very vivid. The colors are really beautiful. Um, it's just an interesting, it's an interesting choice and it really draws you in. And I found myself staring at it for quite a bit. Um, and after a while, I noticed something. I noticed um, that Mr. Obama's left leg is, the foot is kind of lifted up a little bit. These are my pictures, so <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, these are pictures that I took that day. Um, but his left foot is kind of tilted upward, and you can see that it seems like he is uh, trying to avoid uh, stepping on that flower that's beneath him, the, the purple flower. And I was so, um, I was surprised by it. And it evoked in me some really specific feelings about uh, the subject and uh, the subject's gentleness and the subject's tenderness and sort of an awareness of surroundings and an awareness of like, I can cause trouble in this world and I'm actively seeking to avoid that um, just by changing my posture in a very small way. And I would not have noticed that if I hadn't stood there 
and sort of leaned in and taken in the painting for as long as I did. Um, and when I think about Jesus as an artist and I think about the parables and the stories that he told, I think about this painting um, and I think about the invitation of, of the story. Uh, the invitation is to lean in, it's to listen a little bit more closely, it's to check out the details um, and to see what else we can find. Um, so let's, I, I wanna do that today with our, with our teaching text. Um, I'm just gonna read it again because uh, I think we had the wrong words on the screen. But it is Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. So if you Google this, which I did, um, you will find uh, an interpretation that is, is something like this. It is something like, the treasure is the gospel. Um, we find it. We are the man. We find it. And then we give up everything that we have to follow Jesus. And I think that's a good, I think that's a good solid interpretation. I think it is um, mirrored in the teachings of Jesus. Uh, he tells his disciples, um, uh, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Uh, he says something similar in the Gospel of Luke. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. So I think that's a worthy interpretation of this passage, but I wanted to sit with it a little bit longer, and I wanted to see what else I could find. I wanted to see what else Jesus the artist might have for us in, in these words. Um, so you guys have been in Matthew for a while, so I'm not going to do a big overview, but I'll just say very quickly that um, obviously there are a lot of parables happening in this chapter 13 of Matthew. You, you've covered a number of them, um, but immediately before this passage, uh, Jesus is giving a further explanation on the parable of the weeds. Um, I think Will taught on the, the parable of the weeds a, a few weeks ago, so I'll just give you a quick recap. Um, the parable of the weeds is there is a, a man who sows good, good seed in his field. An enemy comes in the night and sows bad seed in the field. Uh, the, the wheat starts to come up. The weeds are coming up with it. His servants ask him, wait, I thought that you sowed good seed. And he said, for sure I did. An enemy has done this. Let them grow together until the harvest, and then I will do the separation. And so he goes on and he tells a couple more parables after that. A couple more kingdom of God is like statements. Um, and then his disciples kind of raise their hands and they're like, hey, can you, uh, can you run that back for us? Can you give us a further explanation of what that means. And so then he, he tackles the meaning, uh, the meaning of the parable of the weeds, and he gives three kingdom of God is like statements, including the one that we are studying today. And then after that, he says, does that make sense? You guys got it? 
That's what Jesus said. I'm not asking you that, but thank you. Um, <laughs> and so I think the way that it's read, and I'm going to read it to you in just a second, I think we should be reading those texts together. They're part of the explication um, of, the, of the parable of the weeds. So I'm going to read it really quickly just so that we can all hear it and be on the same page. Again, his disciples have asked him a question, and he's like, that's a wonderful question I would love to tell you. And then it says, Jesus answered, someone got that, someone got my Elise Myers reference, love you. <laughs> um, he answered, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man, the field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil, the harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out every, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears, let him hear. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish when it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore, then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? Jesus asked. Yes, they replied. <laughs> I don't know that they did. But, you know, that's, that's, that was probably the right answer to that question. Um, but do you see sort of like the mirror? There's a mirror between his explanation of the parable and, and the weeds and, there, and the last uh, parable about the fish. And then in between you have two pretty similar uh, kingdom of heaven is like statements. And so it's forming a little bit of a sandwich. And I think that we can read it together and find, and find meaning in it. Uh, so what do we have here? Um, we're, there's a place. So Jesus tells us in the explanation of the parable of the weeds that the, feed, the field is the world. We have a field in our story, so I think it's fair to assume that it's also the world. Um, we have an object. Uh, there's good weeds. Uh, there's bad weeds. There's good wheat. There are bad fish. There are good fish. Um, and we are told that the good seeds are the people of the kingdom of God. And so we can assume then that the object that we are looking at in each of these stories and each of these statements are the people of the kingdom of God. So what that means is that we are the treasure. We are the treasure that is found hidden in the field. We also have a subject, a main character in our stories. There's an owner, uh, there's a fisherman, um, there's a merchant, uh, there's the man who finds the treasure in the field. Jesus tells us that's him. He says the son of man. The son of man is, is the person who planted the good seed. 
So what that means for our statement today is that Jesus finds us in a field and he goes and gives up everything he has to buy us. So I think what rabbi artist Jesus is trying to tell us in this statement, in this parable, is that we are the treasure. And that in a little while, he's going to give up everything he has to save us, to buy us. So let's unpack that a little bit further together. Um, Number one, we are the treasure. There is some additional support for this in scripture. Uh, In Deuteronomy it says, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. Out of all the peoples on the face of the earth, the Lord has chosen you to be his treasured possession. Number two, Jesus is the one that finds us and hides us. Uh, In 2 Chronicles it says, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. So the Lord is looking for us. He's looking for the people that will be faithful to him. And because we are in a field surrounded by enemies, he's going to find us and he's going to hide us. Number three, Jesus is the one who gives up everything to purchase and redeem us. Um, I, I was having a little... I've had a little trouble in my life with the terminology of being bought. Um, in, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, I think is the one I chose, <laughs> it says, you are not your own, you were bought at a price. Some versions say you were bought with a price. And so I was, I was thinking about this uh, yesterday actually at brunch with a friend, and Something he said to me triggered a sort of different viewpoint about the idea of being purchased. Um, There is, by purchasing the field, this man, Jesus, he, um, he supersedes all competing interests, right? So whatever else had a claim on your life before Jesus came and purchased you, that claim is no longer good anymore because Jesus owns owns the field. Um, Paul tells us in Romans that death was reigning, that in the world death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. But when Jesus comes, it is justice and grace and righteousness that reigns instead. And so to the extent that there is any claim on your life, by sin, to the extent that there's any claim on your life by death, Jesus has conquered it by purchasing the field. There are no longer, for the people of God, there are no longer any competing interests on your life. You are bought with a price. Uh, The word that is used uh, in the scripture, the the word bought, is a Greek word, agorazo. It actually doesn't appear in scripture a whole lot. Um, There are just a couple of places. One of them was the one that I just read in 1 Corinthians. And there are another couple of times where it's used in in the crescendo of the Bible, the book of Revelation. It says, 
And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. That word redeemed is the Greek word agorazo, which is the same word being used for bought in this parable. It says later in the book of Revelation chapter 14, they follow the lamb wherever he goes. They were purchased from among mankind and offered as first fruits to God and the lamb. Purchased is the same Greek word agorazo for the field that is bought in this parable. Um, and lest we believe or try to convince ourselves that it doesn't apply to each of us in equal measure, he gives us the second statement about the kingdom. He says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. So he just found one. So to the extent that you think that this story isn't about you, it would have been enough, Jesus is saying, it would have been enough if it had just been you, that he still would have gone to the cross if it had just been for you. We serve a God who leaves the 99 to go after the one. Lastly, Jesus does this joyfully. The text says that this man, in his joy, went and sold all he had. It says in the book of Hebrews chapter 12, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Scripture also says that the Lord delights to show mercy. It is his joy to come after his children to save them. So this story is very clearly about, um, it's about the gospel. It's about Jesus going to the cross to redeem us. Um, it's about God's treasures, you and I, um, who were made in his own image and have chosen to serve him and his plan to rescue and redeem us by sending a part of himself to die on a cross. It's a story about how valuable you are to your heavenly father. So the reason that the interpretation, the other interpretation of this parable makes sense about giving up everything for the sake of following Christ is because the most reasonable response to a creator God who gave up everything for us is to give up everything for him. All of our worship, all of our service is a reasonable response to the one who loved us first and loved us best. He gets to ask everything of us because he's given up everything for us. Paul says in Romans, therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And the only reason it makes sense to do that is because of God's love for us. So as I was preparing this message, I really just had one recurring thought. Do you know how loved you are? Do you know how valuable 
you are to God? Do you understand that you are his treasured possession? I grew up in a, um, a Pentecostal holiness church uh, in, in the South, and um, it's still some of the most loving followers of Christ that I've ever met and known in my life, but we were Sabbath keepers. keepers. We went to church on Saturday. We had a lot of rules. There were rules about what I could wear. There were rules about what I could do on a Friday night or a Saturday morning. I know nothing of Saturday morning cartoons. Didn't see them. TGI Friday, what even is that? I don't know. Did, couldn't tell you. Didn't watch it. Um, but there were a lot of rules, and I think the message that I received, not necessarily the message that they were giving me, but the message that was twisted in my mind by the enemy was that I couldn't do enough to earn my father's love. That there was always going to be some way in which I was deficient or lacking, and so I felt like I was always working and working and working toward achieving a goal that I was never going to reach. And then I moved to New York, and I was a little bit bitter, and I was upset with God because I was like, I don't know how to do anything more than what I'm already doing. And for a long time, I sat under the teaching of a man who was completely unknown to me, Dr. Timothy Keller. I was like, who's this old guy? He seems really nice. <laughs> Didn't know who he was, but he taught me what I heard from Tim was about the love of God was about how I was loved from before the foundations of the earth. And then I made my way to Trinity Grace Church in Park Slope, and one day I was standing in the front of the room with my hands open, and our pastor came over to me, and he said to me, I have this sense of the Father standing behind you. He wants me to tell you that you are his beloved daughter. And that with you, he is well pleased. He is delighted by you. And so I slowly began to realize, oh, I matter. God cares about me. He's always cared about me. Every step that I've taken, he's been there with me. He's the one that is leading me to this place where I'm standing right now. He's the one standing with me even now. He dwells inside of my body. That is the good news of the gospel of the kingdom of God. And so I wonder, do we really know how loved we are? And what would happen if we really believed it? Um, I listened to Patrick's message from a couple of weeks ago, and he was talking about some of the parables, and he said something, something along the lines of the people who were listening to these parables might have been wondering, oh, am I the bad seed? Am I the weeds growing among the wheat? But Jesus is telling them over and over again, no, it's you. I want you. You, it is to you. Carlos said this when he opened the series. It is you to whom the, the kingdom secrets are given. I have given them to you. In Corinthians, Paul in his letter says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved 
It is the power of God. So if you're wondering whether or not you're the good seed, whether you're the treasure, you are. And believing that you are is the power that we have. The power source of the kingdom of heaven is love. In his letter to the Ephesians, Paul writes, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. The kingdom of God runs on love. And yes, it is love of your neighbor, and yes, it is love of God, but the power that we have comes from absolute certainty that we are loved by our creator. It is the thing that gives us power to love him back. We love him because he first loved us. It is the thing that gives us power to love our neighbors, including our enemies. It is the thing that gives us power to get up after that bad day or that bad meeting or that rough season of life because we do not have to wonder if our father loves us. The band can, can make their way back up whenever they're ready. Knowledge of the unfailing love of the triune God is what gives us power. It's what gives us the power to give up our lives for the sake of the gospel. And we cannot live without it. So I don't know where each of you is today, but if there is any doubt in your mind that you are loved, if there's any voice of the enemy that has tried to convince you that you are not the treasure that God is looking for, that he has found, and that he will hide, then I'd love for you to respond to this message and just hear that, that God loves you. That's, that's the whole of it. Jesus loves you. If there's any place in your life where you're concerned about, about sin. Uh, some of the, sometimes I've heard it said that everything around us, because of the fall, is tinged with death. And so there are pieces of death that are surrounding us everywhere. And sometimes they come on us. Sometimes it's something that we are experiencing in our bodies, in our families, in our relationships. So if something for you today feels like it's tinged with death and you need the God of the universe to speak life, if you need to be reminded that Jesus conquered death, that death has no victory because Jesus bought the field, then we'd love to pray with you today. If there's any sin struggle in your life, and we've all been there, and you need to be reminded that Jesus also conquered sin in the world, that he bought the field, that sin has no claim on your life, that the enemy has no claim on your life, that death, which are the wages of sin, has no claim on your life, then we would love to pray with you today.
so whenever you're ready, the band is going gonna, is gonna to play a song. I'm going to be down here to pray with whoever needs it. Um, there are rugs here for you to change your posture if that's your desire. Um, but that's the message, friends. You are loved. You are his treasure. He will find you. He will hide you. He's given up everything for you. And we're going to be with him at the end. Lord, I pray. Um, yeah, that these words would fall on good soil. God, I pray that even now you would send your spirit to begin to speak with your children about how long and wide and high and deep your love for them is. God, I pray against the enemy in the name of Jesus. I ask that you would silence the voice that tells us that we are less than, the voice that tells us that we're not valuable, the voice that tells us that you're not pleased with us. I pray that everyone in this room would feel the light of the Father's face shining on them, that they would know the comfort of your presence. Come and meet with us now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.